0: Hello there, video game fans, I'm Pushdustin, and this is Memory Card. Well, it looks like Ben is just uh, too tired to join this week, so it'll just be me and uh, Nintanjax. Hello, everyone. Nintanjax is the operator of um, Source Gaming.
1: <laughs> operator is a very kind way of putting it. I prefer a dictator person myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's the dictator of Source Gaming. Well, um, let's go ahead and get ready for this episode. So let's boot it up. Yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit about yourself and um, what you do on Source Gaming?
1: So um, I'm sure as many of your listeners know, you were the uh, original founder of Source Gaming.
0: Yeah.
1: Got like six years ago now? Uh, Almost six years. Almost six years. And so I got brought on, I want to say four years ago into that as a sort of writer, as a writer around Smash and um, other stuff. And I wanted to do history articles. And then I eventually moved on and sort of launched the YouTube channel and just kept being really involved in the in the channel and the website and then after well you wanted to retire from it and start something new yeah <laughs> uh, i w- i was too much into the brand i like our little sauce can and I-, I liked making videos mm-hmm. and stuff so i took over and have been um, leaving yeah. it throughout all of like smash U- like smash ultimate's uh, post launch <laughs> content
0: yeah basically i think i i stepped down like right after the game launched like, I I barely made it until the end, I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Before that, I was doing just my own sort of blogging and working as an editor for, like, local newspapers and stuff like this. And I've just been doing life mixture as a journalist, mixture as a researcher, trying to play games, which is actually a lot more difficult than you'd think for someone who talks about games a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is very difficult <laughs> to have any time to play games if you're spending your time working and then also...
1: Working on games and with games and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, one of the um big articles I wrote that I've been interested in making in a video for a while, but uh, wrote all the way back in the 2015, I think it was. Um, was this in-depth history of Chibi Robo? Oh, um, because I, I feel like Chibi Robo is an interesting l- little series mm-hmm. because. I would argue it's not like it wasn't like an A or B tier Nintendo franchise at all, but it was at least a C tier. Like it had multiple games. Yeah, it was one of Nintendo's lower studios, but one of their mascots, kind of like Dylan from Dylan's role in Western. And it was it seemed to be quite popular amongst fans, but the games were slowly, like slowly and slowly disappearing from at least over here in the west and also getting a lot smaller and stuff until it was effectively put on life support
0: yeah it had a very like slow death whereas like a series like f-zero for example had their like basically grand finale and then just never came back
1: yeah (laughs) chibi robo um just kept trying and trying and it was clear for everyone and heartbreaking for the chibi robo fans who were watching this happen. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Um Skip's a really interesting company there, because they've made more games than just Chibi Robo, including Captain Rainbow, which is like one of my most favorite games I've never played. <laughs> so <laughs> and so I was I was always interested in the sort of quirky humor and stuff they had, but it was also, for me at least, Europe was never been skip territory. yeah So actually getting a hold of them and actually being able to play the games is really, really difficult over here. Uh, I actually, Ziplash was released worldwide, and so was the first Chibi-Robo, but I completely missed that, um, and I only own it in Japanese, because actually finding an English copy of that game is ridiculously hard.
0: Yeah, because they had a, such a limited print.
1: Yeah, it came out already as the Wii was just, it came out right as the Wii was about to come out, so right at the end of the GameCube's life cycle, and just in very limited quantities, and then the second game and didn't come out in Europe at all, and then the third game didn't come out outside of Japan at all. <laughs> and i could have got photo finder but it's apparently not a very good game it was like an e shop game but we can talk about that as we uh
0: yeah as we go through the list yeah
1: as we go down
0: let's go ahead and just start off with the humble origins of the studio that founded GP robo
1: yeah sure so skip was um a sort of com- it was a company founded in the year 2000 it was co-founded by two people who had previously worked at square nx uh, but the one who's important for chibi robo is Kenshinishi. nishi i believe i pronounced that right Kenshinishi, yeah mm-hmm. he um he joined in 2000 originally worked on chrono trigger for square nx before leaving to go and found his own company where he worked on titles like moon remix rpg adventure and lol lack of love the former of which is actually getting re-released on the switch Yeah, getting a a Switch remake, which they obviously haven't talked about since it was announced in the Japanese one in
0: September, and it's getting localized too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is, which is the first time Moon's getting localized, which is really interesting. I'm looking forward to it. And LOL actually got a remake on the DS as well, Mm -hmm. which Nishi made after he left Skip. But I'm getting ahead of myself there. They formed Skip in the year 2000 and worked on two get and started working on two games at the same time. One was a, a little GameCube title called Gift Pier which I'm sure many uh, Chibi-Robo fans know, and the other itself was Chibi-Robo. Nishi described his game-making style as taking something simple and then breaking it down and rebuilding it again in some sort of unique way, and he wanted to do this with both Gift Pia and Chibi-Robo. So Gift Pia was, uh, I believe, released in 2002 or 2003, published by Nintendo. It's this kind of daily life sim game where you play as a kid called Pockle. Mm-hmm. in this town i haven't actually played it myself because it's a game that was never released outside of japan and it's actually quite hard to find in japan
0: yeah Giftpedia is actually not that rare well it's not that hard it's not that hard to find
1: I, i've never seen it every time I, every time i've gone to japan i've never been able to find it because it's one of the ones i want to add to my gamecube collection ah, I'll, I'll
0: send you a copy next time i find it oh nice excellent
1: thanks <laughs> so Giftpedia was uh, published by nintendo Mm. Um, which chibi robo was at the end but what many people probably don't know is that chibi robo originally wasn't a nintendo game at all Uh, it was actually being published by bandai it it was a very different game and it was announced in 2003 and it was effectively a point and click top-down adventure game okay kind of inspired by um home alone of all things you played as chibi robo who needed to run around and sort of refuel himself like the the power plug mechanic was still there and he looked the same chibi Chibi robo looked the same but now you worked in a professor's lab and these two uh, thieves called cookie and arnie would be trying to break into the professor's lab to steal his latest invention and you would have to control chibi robo and set up traps for them and keep everything safe Mm -hmm. and it was demoed off at a few events in early 2003. And there were even stuff like you were able to control multiple Chibi Robos at once.
0: Oh, really? Like, not just one?
1: Not just one, no. You'd be able to eventually control multiples. And the way they sort of did this is Chibi as AI uh, had the ability to sort of remember what it is that the player did and could be put on autopilot by getting these things called memory chips you could save key actions in there so that if you're controlling one Chibi-Robo, the other one will go off and do its own thing. Kind of like imagine Pikmin 3 where you can control the other two captains, like you draw lines for them on the Wii U gamepad and then they go off and do their own thing while you're controlling one of them. It was kind of like that, but back on the GameCube in 2003. But the problem with this game is that apparently it wasn't very good yeah. and it was also had a, a ton of development problems which caused Skip to completely miss their June 2003 deadline for the game, mm-hmm. which Bandai was not very happy about. And they gave them a few more months to work on it, but by the start of 2004, Bandai had had enough, and they just completely dropped the project.
0: Skip is a, it's a very small company too.
1: Oh yeah, it had 12 people on it at this moment in time, I think it was. Like, there are only 12 people who worked on GB Robo from Skip.
0: That's insane for us, uh, a GameCube game.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the game got completely cancelled. And the real, the main reason I don't necessarily think was people, which I'll explain why in a minute. I think it was just the direction was completely off. Uh, I, I, think the, I think the core gameplay idea wasn't implemented very well. And it was suffering. Every, everything was suffering because of the result.
2: Mm. So
1: Bandai had cancelled the game completely. But Nintendo, who had previously published Gift Pier and were interested in what Skip could do, had their eyes on this game. So they swooped in and effectively revived it, and then re-announced it at the end of 2004, like in October 2004, we're like, yep, this is the new Chibi-Robo. And it was a completely different game. It was now controlled with the stick, it was now a sort of third-person adventure game set in a household, which was kind of done because uh, Kensuke Tanabe, who's the producer of Chibi-Robo and the producer of Metroid Prime, he came, he came on and he just basically decided, right, we're doing everything from scratch. <laughs> you know, we're scrapping everything, we're getting rid of the point and click style. His idea behind it was that players will feel more connected to Chibi-Robo if they're act- actively controlling him and not just telling him where to go. And that's what he kind of likes as a gaming philosophy. Mm-hmm. He wanted players to be Chibi-Robo, not just looking in on Chibi-Robo's world. So he made them change it to this new sort of style. And the only thing they kept over was the fact that Chibi-Robo needed to charge from a plug. And with this new gameplay style, Kenshi decided, well, if we're doing the world through Chibi-Robo's eyes, I want to tell a really powerful human story. So let's set it in a family and let's have it be- tackle themes like divorce and...
0: Yeah, really adult themes. <laughs>
1: child loneliness, like real loneliness, but with a, a real adult themes so but with a happy atmosphere that was known by Skip. Yeah. So he wanted to do this, and that must have been, like, really motivating, because they actually completed Chibi-Robo, now basically from scratch, in eight months, which is ridiculously fast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it was announced in October 2004, when Nintendo announced it, and released in Japan on June 2005. So it's a very quick turnaround. Yeah. But um, it sort of paid off for the company sort of being redone. And I think Miyamoto also played a little bit of a role in it. He was interested in Chibi-Robo. And it's uh, thanks to him that Chibi-Robo can use his plug for stuff that's not just charging. Like the Chibi-Doors was a Miyamoto idea, essentially. He was like, that's what Chibi-Robo's core thing is.
0: Yeah, basically kind of trying to expand Mm -hmm. the the core gameplay. Because just moving and and being charged. Yeah. (laughs) It it doesn't sound have fun actually
1: <laughs> yeah but they, they got it to work and chibi robo was quite well received originally it wasn't announced for america but then in mm-hmm. e3 2005 i believe the, uh, nintendo of america had the game as a demo and it was quite well received mm-hmm. and so they decided to they might have already decided but this was the first time it was had any sort of inkling of a western uh, release they decided to launch it, which they did in February 2006, and then Europe had it come out in May 2006. So, this was the first Mm Chibi-Robo game, and despite all of the, like, really positive reviews, Official Nintendo Magazine listed it on their 100 best Nintendo games. Of all time. uh, Yep, and they listed it as, like, the last classic of the GameCube before the Wii Mm -hmm. came out. However, Ever, it only sold about 0.39 million copies worldwide. Didn't even break half a million. Didn't even break half a million. Oh. It sold really poorly for a game that was really well received. And like I said, I think that's partly because even if it was released in Europe and America, it had very limited releases, especially in Europe, and was also at least for Europe and America coming out right before the Wii came out. In Japan, I'm not so sure because it was at least a year and a half before the Wii. So. It only sold about 34,000 units in its first week in Japan. And then we don't know what sales were like for every consecutive week until after after that. But it wasn't a very good uh, (laughs) launch for it, which is a a shame because it looks pretty good. Yeah, And that was the first Chibi-Robo game. They did actually re-release it in 2008 in Japan under the Wii as part of its new Play Control series. But it actually sold even worse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's such a shame because uh, that was like... a popular series, because, like, they released, like, Pikmin and other titles.
1: Yeah, Pikmin, Metroid Prime, Mario Tennis, and then Chibi-Robo was definitely the odd one out of them. But yeah, it it sold, in its prime, 11,000 units in Japan. Yeah. So that is a big oof (laughs) all around. And Nintendo of America and Europe didn't even decide to release it, which is actually... This is, I think, the reason why Nintendo probably hasn't re-released Chibi Robo since, despite what f- fans been asking for it to be ported and stuff. Because they did try to re-release it once, and it just didn't pay off at all.
0: And, and the Wii had a huge install base.
1: Oh uh, yeah, this was like 2008. This is when the Wii uh, is when the Wii was at its peak. Like the, the it was no longer difficult to get systems. Everyone had it. It was the best-selling system at the time, and nobody bought the game. <laughs> so. Why would it be any different now? Maybe because Chibi-Robo's dead, or potentially dead. We'll get to that. People suddenly feel more obligated to revive it. But yeah, back then, didn't do very well.
2: Yeah.
0: Hey listeners, we're putting this episode on pause for a moment to talk about supporting Memory Card via Patreon. If you're hearing this, you're probably not one of our patrons. How do we know? It's because all patrons enjoy ad-free episodes.
1: Other perks include shoutouts, early access to episodes and bonus content, and even the chance to
0: come on the show. If you enjoy Memory Card, we hope you consider pledging even a dollar or two, or three, or four, you know, just just even a little bit helps. For more information, head to patreon.com slash memcard. And now, back to the show. Where'd I put that controller? So that was the
1: first GB Robo game. Uh but after this, two things happened first they didn't they had no plans to make a sequel. They moved on to a completely new title but also Kenshi nishi uh stepped down from the project. He moved straight from Chibi Robo onto working on Captain Rainbow for the Wii and then once Captain Rainbow came out, uh he just decided to up and leave the company and start his own company called route twenty four so nishi he left skip entirely mm. so he wasn't there to work on any more chibi robo games uh, i think when he when he went to route 24 he began working on the ds remake sequel to lol actually he might have done that while working at skip but not as a skip game the one who took over for kenshi nishi was a man named hiroshi moriyama and he would go on to direct the next two chibi robo games before that he made a game simply titled the paper toy game What's that about? It's effectively uh, Freaky Forms on the 3DS. That's what it would become. Oh, okay. It was an idea that Hiroshi Moriyama had where you could make a playable character out of paper and play it and control them. Nintendo, they were interested in the idea, but they couldn't get it to really be where they wanted it to be. And so the game was scrapped and Moriyama would revisit the idea after he left Skip, which would then become Freaky Forms on the 3DS. That is just interesting. little little factoid there. <laughs> it's the thrown in at the start. But because that game didn't work very well, they decided they wanted to make a sequel to Chibi-Robo. Uh, and because of their development abilities and how many people Skip had in the team, they're actually hiring more people at this point.
0: Oh, really? I thought they were completely dead.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Um, in 2008-9, in when Captain Rainbow was on its way, it coming out, and they were working on this Chibi-Robo DS game, they had like at least 30 to 40 people there. I don't know if the exact number has ever been disclosed. But this was peak skip time. Yeah. And so they worked on another Chibi-Robo game. And the first idea they had actually wasn't Park Patrol, which is the game that would come out. It was a rhythm Chibi-Robo game, a dancing-based game where you would be able to play your own music through the Nintendo DS microphone, and Chibi-Robo would react and dance to the beat uh, based on the tempo of the song.
0: It's kind of like uh, one of those robots that you can buy that will play... Music and then dance to
1: it. Yeah, basically, it was that as a game, and you would use the touch screen in order to make Chibi Robo match the rhythm of the song, and that would be the game mechanic, the rhythm game mechanic. Uh, However, it had a one major issue: being on the DS and being a portable system. If anyone tried to play it outside, you would just end up hearing all the background noise and of people going through, and that would completely disrupt the song. Mm -hmm. The game wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the music you wanted and all the noise that's happening. And so the idea was unfortunately scrapped. Yeah. Uh, but they did actually keep the dancing part of Chibi-Robo in just as a, a, as a mini game in Park Patrol.
0: Yeah, like uh, it seems like like in GIF PD, I remember Palko, he always does this little dance whenever he collects uh, a wish bead. Mm-hmm. So I, I just maybe they just like dancing there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they brought that in, for the, the dancing thing for this, and they decided let's make a more traditional Chibi-Robo game. Uh, so it's a brand new chibi robot it's not the same one from the first game and he is now a park robot so he takes care of the park he grows flowers you put in a park where everything's dying and you have to try and revive it and they did a few things like they decided to set the game outside because it allowed them to have different mechanics like the ability to drive cars and stuff like that or other uh, different types of vehicles mm. and they had a sort of day system where you it would mark how many days were on a calendar when you were playing it and you had to try and build up the park in a certain amount of days it was all it was pretty pretty neat uh but actual development notes for this game are significantly less uh, significantly more limited than the uh first game is all we know really is that it took much longer to make this second game i think it took them like two years or something
0: for a portable title as well
1: yeah for for a much smaller ds title and. This one also wasn't released in Europe at all. Uh, It was released in America, but we'll get to that. The game launched in Japan uh, around July of 2007 uh, and was also announced in uh, E3 2006. And people were really um, receptive to it at first, but when it came out, um, scores were lacking. Like, people didn't think... People thought it was okay. It had positive reviews and people thought it was charming, but it was... It wasn't as good as the original. It wasn't a sequel that lived up to expectations. And so it didn't sell very well. I think it has just under 100,000 lifetime sales uh, in Japan, which isn't good. It, it's 0. 0.1 million.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's way less than even the first one.
1: Yeah. Oh, actually, no, sorry. It's 100,000 after its first year and then 200,000 by the end of its life. So... But that's still still less than the first one. That's almost half of what the first one got. And so it was up to the West to save the day. And they had some strange marketing campaigns in the West for this game. The first one of which had the first 500 people who bought the game and sent in a code to Nintendo of America would get a tree sapling as a gift that they could then plant and grow their own tree. Wow. Very strange. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I I, I think it's unique, and I I don't think many people were bothered by that. That's not why the game didn't do very well. The reason the game didn't do very well is for whatever reason, at some point after they'd already opened pre-orders up from loads of shops and people were ordering, Nintendo decided that this game should be Walmart exclusive.
0: Mm, Usually something like that. There's an incentive, right? Like, they'll get some uh, money provided from Walmart to do that. And then they're probably outweighing their their uh, expected sales versus that money, and and they realize that they'll probably get more money through an exclusive.
2: Yeah,
1: but that was probably the the real reason it was done. They had a PR reason, and that was that Walmart has a really strong environmental message.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, sure.
1: (laughs) And because this game has a really strong environmental message, they wanted to make sure it was received the exposure amongst a broader audience who are interested in this. That was their PR reasoning for it yeah but this backfired horribly a lot of people seem to not be aware that this was an exclusive nintendo didn't do a very good job of marketing this at all and because it was walmart exclusive and this is back in a time where online what like a lot of shop, physical stores didn't have very strong e-commerce you couldn't reorder it online you had to go into a physical walmart store and pick it up yeah so most people just assumed it was cancelled <laughs> A lot of people just thought the game was removed and wasn't being released in the West anymore and didn't know about it at all until way after it was released. So that was a really bad blow to the Chibi-Robo series. Nintendo America effectively killed the game itself before it even came out. Yeah. Which is, which is sad, which is sad. But in Japan, they wanted to try it again use all the feedback they are taking from park patrol in the first game to make a game that's more like the original but on ds which um they released in 2009 called okari chibi robo happy richie or soji which uh, we've translated as welcome home chibi robo happy rich major cleanup yeah <laughs> which <laughs> only released in japan this this one only released in japan and it was only announced six weeks before its release date It basically had no build-up at all to it but it was actually a really good game reception to this one was really positive people think it's actually one of the better chibi robo games out there on par with the original if not a a little bit better of it because they really did take Mm -hmm. what they had learn all the feedback and made a really good game out of it but it just it was set in the set 20 years after the first game it was set in the same family but now jenny the little girl in the first game was older and it was her kids you were taking care of i think it can't remember if it's the same chibi robo or not but they had taken some of the vehicle ideas, like you could have a plane so you could fly around the house now. So there were a lot of cool mechanics in here, but development his- history on this one isn't very well known, and it didn't do very well, <laughs> unsurprisingly.
0: I don't think they did a lot of PR for this. Like...
1: Uh, Famitsu gave it a pretty positive review, and it came fifth in its first week, selling about 35,000 copies. Yeah. But overall, its lifetime sales are only about on 143,000 so it sold less than park patrol did
0: oh that's a shame
1: yeah so it, they were just doing worse and worse and worse uh but it's a shame it's um that it was like this but this is where skip becomes kind of begins to fall apart so as soon as this game released the, the director left Hiroshi Moriyama left and with him left about two-thirds of it skips entire thing I personally call it like the mass exodus of Skip because they haven't given any official numbers, but the team just dropped dramatically and Skip wouldn't release another game for like four years at this point.
0: (laughs) They lost so many key people, I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah, they pretty much did. I I think, as you know, I think GB Robo didn't release for four years, but they did release some random WiiWare games here and there. I think this might have been the time that Snowpack Park Patrol got released and I think they ported some of the art styles games that they made onto the Wii as well during this time, but there wasn't anything else that happened, and Chibi-Robo wouldn't show up again until the 2013 Chibi-Robo Photo Finder, which is this weird AR game where you have to take pictures of real-life objects Mm. around your house, and the game will ask, like, find toilet paper, so you go and take a picture of toilet roll
0: yeah, let's all find toilet paper right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, it's a very hard game to play at the moment. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this was the idea. It was a neat idea,
1: but it didn't play very well. It's the worst received game in the series.
0: The camera was like, it was okay. It was good on the 3DS, but it wasn't like as good as cameras are now.
1: No, not at all. It was a neat idea, maybe a bit too early for its time. They got a new guy onto the, as the director, Keita Ito. And they had to actually bring in two other studios to help make this game, Studios Anne and Oink Games. Uh, Oink was in particular was made up of previous Skip employees. Because the game was just like behind schedule. Yeah. This this would be the plague for Skip pretty much. They, they they wanted to make a Chibi Robo game, a small one to bring sales up and show they're still alive. Wasn't very good, didn't do very well. And so in 2013 they skip were effectively given an ultimatum. The Chibi Robo series has been selling worse and worse and worse, so you need to make sure that the next one is really good and does really well. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be... That's it. That's it. You're done. So... This is when Ziplash began development, and <laughs> yeah we we all know how this turned out, but originally their idea their ideas, their concept behind it was pretty decent. They decided that action games were significantly more popular to a wider audience, yeah than um uh, adventure games and this weird cleanup game and stuff like this. So they wanted to make it a 2 d platformer, and that was also you know 2d platformers within their development capabilities. Mm -hmm. and then they also decided well what's the most prominent thing about chibi robo how can we make him stand out from the likes of mario donkey kong and kirby and it was decided that the plug that he carries was the main thing what can we do with this plug it's kind of like what miyamoto told them for the first one it's like the plug is chibi robo's biggest thing so it should be the focus of the character
0: which is a pretty good idea
1: So they decided to make a 2D platformer based around all the stuff you could do with a plug, bouncing it off of walls, using it as a swing, what can I plug into stuff, that's how you get the vehicle sections where Chibi-Robo plugs in and controls different vehicles. So they began working on this, this was also nearly missed its deadline, Mm -hmm. and they had to bring in Vanpool to come and help on the uh, game, the Kensuki Tanabe at the time was using Vanpool to help with any game that he could, so they came on with Paper Mario Sticker Star and then they also came on to help development of this. So it was effectively co-developed between Vampool and Skip. They actually did, Vampool did a lot, which is why you get Dylan Rollin, in Western and Tingle references in the Chibi-Robo games, because those were Vampool's two series. <laughs> and they also wanted to impl- introduce Amiibo into this game. The three core ideas they had behind Ziplash was, what, how could this be an exciting action game? How can Amiibo actually be used in this game? And how can we make people customize Chibi-Robo? They wanted an amiibo because obviously he's a toy. So and it they, they were hoping that amiibo it would bring brand awareness for Chibi Robo. But they were doing everything they could to try and bring brand awareness.
0: Yeah, cuz ami- amiibos were really hot.
1: Yeah. So that explains why the Chibi Robo amiibo exists. But ultimately this wouldn't save Chibi Robo. Ziplash isn't a very well received game at all. It's not a bad game. It was released worldwide. I think it definitely sold better than the last two Chibi-Robo games. It definitely uh, didn't do as well at the start as the others. When it when it first came out, like in its first sort of launch weeks in Japan, it sold less than the other Chibi-Robo games other than the Wii one. Like, it sold less than the two DS ones. I don't think we've got any sales for the eShop one, so we don't, that probably sold worse, if I was to hazard a guess. But yeah, Zip, Zip Lash just did really poorly, and it wasn't well-received by Chibi-Robo fans. And it was a pretty much a dagger in the heart for Skip, because Skip haven't done anything since Ziplash, and their current situation is up in the air. I don't think their Twitter account has posted anything yeah. since 2017, and they changed their company name recently from Skip, LTD, to Skip Incorporated, I think.
0: Yeah, which is like a different branding, right? It's like, a legally, it's a different type of company.
1: Yeah, legally, it's a different type of company. It's not necessarily a video game developer anymore. And most of the key people who did still work at Skip, like its director, don't really tweet much about video games anymore. I think one of them actually tweets about cryptocurrency more than anything else at the moment. So while Skip is still around as a studio, technically, Mm -hmm. as a company, they don't seem to have worked on anything gaming-related at all since ZipLash had come down. So if I had to hazard a guess, they decided that this industry just wasn't for them anymore. And have moved, tried to move on to something else. Yeah. They, effectively, they don't make games anymore, is what it seems like, which means that the chances of Chibi Robo coming back are incredibly slim. Skips still, Skip still own parts of the IP, Nintendo still own parts of the IP, which means that Nintendo can actually use Chibi Robo and stuff like Smash. And te- actually, Bandai owns part of that IP because they helped create it back on the GameCube.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention that uh, he has a costume in the new Smash.
1: Yes. So I think Nintendo were aware that Chibi-Robo has a cult following, but they're not willing to invest in any actual Chibi-Robo games. Uh, I think the only chance Chibi-Robo is going to have of coming back is if Nintendo does manage to do easy GameCube Ports or like e shop or something like that on the Switch e uh, on the Switch e shop yeah like they did with the Wii on the Wii U and they've been doing with Super Nintendo virtual console basically if they can get Chibi Robo on the virtual console and it sells really well there that might give them an incentive okay people are still interested in Chibi Robo because that's the that's the real killer it's every single game has sold worse and worse and worse and worse and part of that is definitely Nintendo's marketing just either not marketing it at all or completely butchering it like they did with park patrol Uh, and then part of that is skip's team just being getting progressively less talented it with each iteration but yeah that's a that's the sad little fate of a little robot buddy
0: yeah it's 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 a real shame because uh he he keeps trying (laughs) like skip kept on trying to to make chibi robo a thing it was the only
1: successful franchise I think they had. As much as I love Captain Rainbow and I'm interested in Gift Pia, neither of those sold as well as the first Chibi-Robo game, which already didn't sell very well. So, <laughs> and then the art styles games, I think are quite, I think collectively they may have sold better mm. than them, but there's also like a billion of them. <laughs>
0: like, for a series that didn't really ever sell that well, it, it lived quite a while.
1: You've got to give it kudos. It went on for Chibi-Robo began the development in around 2002, 2003, and didn't fully die until 2015. So for a C-tier franchise, it lived for a good, was this, like 13 years, roughly, since, it, since its inception. Since release, I suppose, it lived for like nine years. But that's still stronger than series like yeah. Golden Sun, I suppose, <laughs> which started in 2001 and died in 2010. I, th- I think it would have helped having something Chibi-Robo in Smash. Smash's relationship with Chibi-Robo has been very strange. Ultimate's basically it.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it, it didn't really have any representation.
1: Yeah, it had a trophy in Brawl and some stickers, and then a trophy in Smash 3DS and nothing in Smash for Wii U. And then, and then suddenly in Ultimate costumes and stuff like that. But no music. It's never had music. It's never had a stage. I think maybe if... Smash is good for bringing up promotion, so maybe if Chibi-Robo had at least appeared as an assist trophy or something, it might have drawn more interest. And Ultimate is a bit too late.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, look at the reception to uh, uh, Takamaru, or um, the Prince Sabade.
1: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's that's the history of Chibi-Robo. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting little nugget, and it basically rounds up the history of Skip as well, although there are a few things we obviously didn't cover here for time.
0: Well thank you for coming on and telling us about chibi robo
1: thank you for having me on Uh, i've been wanting to get on an episode of memory cards since you announced it
0: that's all for now thanks for listening our intro and outro music was crafted by the talented chiptune artist, Jamatar. You can go ahead and find some of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or on our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? H- have you Nintendochex? <laughs> if not, I hope I hope you will. <laughs> Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, including Jackson Bertoli, Tyler Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, and Harrison. All of our Patreon information can be found on the support section of our website, or on patreon.com/slash We'll be back real soon with some more gaming history goodness. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review if you enjoy the show. We'll see you soon.